Welcome to the Bad Soccer Dad Podcast, where we're asking, why do our attempts to bring out the best in young athletes often bring out the worst in parents? And what would it take to flip the script? Join us each week as we seek to develop better parents, better athletes, and better conversations. Here's your host, Steve Norman. Welcome back, Bad Soccer Dad family. We are wrapping up the second week of the year 2020, and I've got a confession to make. I'm feeling a little conflicted. I think traditionally you get into a new year and you're like, hey, new year, new me, new you, new everybody. Let's let's look forward. Let's grab life by the throat. Let's win the day. And all of that is good and all of that is right and all of that is motivating and healthy. Uh, that said, rather than looking forward, I, I've been feeling compelled to look back, not not like in a morbid way or not in a reluctant way, but I've been really wrestling with this whole issue of forgiveness. And I'm learning that if I don't, if I don't kind of dredge through the most recent chapters of my life truthfully, I can't charge forward boldly. And so rather than taking like a, a look forward, I'm taking a look inward to be able to ask this hard question. God, is there any unresolved bitterness or unaddressed resentment that kind of lingers in the deeper recesses of my soul or orbits around the fringes of my existence that inhibit me from charging forward. Because the truth is we can we can implement all sorts of new habits and new goals and all sorts of hashtags for your best life now, but uh, we don't get our best life if we don't take a look in the closet and say, hey, is there is there anger that I'm carrying forward that's inhibiting my ability to live my life well, or as parents, inhibiting our ability to love our kids well? And I think one of the lessons I've learned the hard way as a parent and as a husband is that if I've got emotional or spiritual issues in any area of my life, even if they don't feel like they're directly connected to my home life, they, they will seep into that. So whatever negativity I bring home or whatever negativity from a previous chapter of my life that I bring into the current chapter of my life um, runs, runs the risk of poisoning the well. It can kind of carry over toxins that can hurt innocent bystanders that I'm in relationship with now because that that volatility is still simmering right underneath the discernible and obvious surface of my life. So here are some of the questions that I've been asking about forgiveness. And I think the reason that this is all so raw and fresh is I just got off of a spiritual formation retreat with some friends this past weekend. And the whole theme was forgiveness. And that in and of itself was rattling and unnerving because I'll be more than happy to have a conversation about forgiveness or listen to a talk about forgiveness or have a session about forgiveness. But being forced to kind of withdraw from my regular home and work life and rhythms and be forced to spend some time in silence and reflection over the course of like a full 30 hours to say, all right, God, do I need to forgive or do I need to forgive again? And here are some of the thoughts that have come to the surface as a result of that journey. A few weeks ago, I was reading in Matthew chapter six, and I heard Jesus say these words. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. 
And for me, this is an alarming thought. I've been attending church services for decades, and I've sung about and celebrated and reflected on the boundless and beautiful and majestic mercy of God. Um, But the implication is often that God's forgiveness is an unstoppable fount of mercy for me, but I don't have to give mercy to others unless it's convenient for me or unless I'm comfortable with it. But for Jesus, to be forgiven is to be forgiving. And only those who receive mercy can give it. And only those who are extending it can fully appreciate their need for it. A forgiveness is a, it's a double-edged blade. And maybe the most powerful attempt I can make towards spiritual maturity in 2020 is to forgive and keep on forgiving. It is a long and often brutal road. But if I claim to follow Jesus, it's not optional. So yes, you can foster grudges, you can coddle resentment, you can nurse bitterness, but to the extent that you choose to do so, you will miss mercy, and so will I. It won't come to us, and it can't flow through us. And when Jesus was walking this earth, his friends were asking forgiveness questions too. In fact, Matthew 18 says that Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. So let's pause there for a second. Peter says, how often will my brother sin against me? And Jesus (laughs) said, a lot. And like the gift that Jesus gives to Peter in this moment is a reminder that our lives are littered with broken people. And that hurt is inevitable. That people have wounded us, people are wounding us, and in the future, we can fully expect people to wound us. Um, I think this gets lived out in the sports arena because refs make decisions that are sometimes wrong, and that has direct implications on athletes. Um, Sometimes coaches pass over kids that should start and don't. Sometimes teammates are gossipy and catty and petty towards one another. Sometimes club parents gossip about one another, and that fractures the larger team unity scenario. So yeah, there are deeper forgiveness issues in our lives, but there are very real wounds and hurts and offenses that spring to the foreground in kind of the bad soccer dad universe that we have to be mindful of and aware of. So when Peter says to Jesus, how often will people hurt me? Jesus is like, oh, hey, Peter, FYI, all the time. So I want to I want you to be conditioned and practiced and rehearsed in how you're going to address this when it does happen. So Jesus, as Jesus is want to do, uh, tells Peter a story. He says, Peter, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he be- began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Like I did my own rough Bible math on this and estimated it's It could be in the ballpark of like $6.7 billion. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. Have patience with me and I will pay you, the other servant said. But the first servant refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. 
And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. And one of my friends, Ziamari, said, she goes, it's very interesting. This text shows that we can choose to release somebody from the wrong that they have done to us, or we can refuse to release them. Like, that's the choice that every single one of us make. Will I release them or will I refuse them? Um, forgiveness is not a course that is graded on a curve. It's a, it's a pass-fail class. Either we forgive somebody or we don't. And Jesus is also very clear. He goes, there's a, a particular way that I want you to forgive somebody, and that is to forgive them from the heart. So for those of you who are listening in as parents, you know that if you have ever had your children squabble or fight or bicker in the backseat of the minivan or on vacation or in the living room or in the basement, a lot of times you get called into referee a scenario and you're like, hey, child A, you were wrong, say you're sorry. And then they'll kind of mumble some half-hearted apology. And they're like, all right, child B, you have to forgive them. And then they'll mumble some words of forgiveness. And like everybody's following the cultural script, but nobody's forgiving anybody from the heart. And one of the, one of the unique attributes, one of the words that jumps out at me in this story is that when the first servant who owed like the insurmountable debt is forgiven, it said that the master had pity on them. And I know that in some of my struggles to forgive other people from the heart, I realize that I don't always have empathy or compassion for my offender or for my victimizer. Because quite frankly, like if they really have done what I believe that they have done to me, if it's legitimately wrong, it doesn't, they, they don't, they don't deserve my compassion. But the problem, as Jesus indicates in the story, is that if you, if you don't forgive others, that you kind of get thrown into a prison of your own making. Somebody once wisely said, bitterness is the poison you swallow while hoping the other person dies. Now, that is true, but if that's the only way that I look at forgiveness, it prompts me to forgive other people out of self-interest. Like, I forgive them because it's good for my long-term emotional and spiritual well-being. But, but that's not the radical forgiveness that Jesus is talking about. Even as Jesus draws his last breath on the cross, even as Jesus is being violently crucified by his enemies, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. And the more I've wrestled with this thought, the more revolutionary it has become for me. It's like pause and have this consideration that maybe the person who has done me wrong or the person who is doing me wrong isn't fully conscious of what they're doing, why they're doing it, or what the implications of their choices are for me, for my well-being, for my relationships, for my confidence, for my pride, for my dignity, for my esteem and my honor. And I think about like the Roman soldiers that Jesus is forgiving at this moment. Like we don't know exactly how many there are, but they're not nameless people. Like these guys had actual identities. They were actually men who got their, got their pay from the Roman government. 
And these soldiers who tortured and executed Jesus, they didn't, they didn't have a vendetta. They didn't roll out of bed the morning of Christ's death and say, hey, today we're going to kill an innocent man and we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. And we're going to be twisted and dark and evil. No, the, these are men who were just going to the office. The only cultural script that they ever had was one of violence. Like they were, they were paid to torture and intimidate and shame people. That, that was the thing that was effective in Rome being able to dominate as much of the Middle Eastern world as it did in that era. Now, make no mistake, the fact that it wasn't personal for them what, isn't an, is not an excuse, but it is an explanation. It helps us understand the source of their brutality. And in my journey towards forgiveness, I'm realizing that maybe the people who hurt me are only functioning out of what they have seen, what they know, what they believe. Maybe the only language that they speak is fear and scheming and manipulation and betrayal. Maybe they have been so wounded in their lives that their only, their only MO is self-promotion and self-protection. That they're, that they're scrambling for every ounce or every inch of psychological terrain that they can, they can find footing on. And if I'm an obstacle in that endeavor, they're, they're going to have to step over me to get there. And I'm learning that forgiveness isn't just an act of worship towards God. It's an act of healing for myself and an act of love towards my offender. It's an act of kindness towards everyone in my family or on my team or in my neighborhood or in my workplace. Forgiveness doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It happens in a village. When forgiveness transpire, it reaches and touches a wider ecosystem of our relationships. If I forgive somebody at work, it has indirect implications of how I treat people at home. And if I forgive somebody in my past, it has direct implications for how I'm able to love people in my present. Just as if I forgive people in my present, it has immediate implications for how I'm able to treat people in my future. It's this interconnected web. And unforgiveness anywhere is a threat to the ability to love everywhere. One of my friends and mentors uh, by the name of Donna, she says, forgiveness is the oxygen in the kingdom of God. Resentment pulls the air out of the room and we can't learn, we can't grow, we can't receive, we can't love if we don't forgive. And all of us have experienced offenses and most of us have experienced hurt and many of us have experienced trauma. And we talked about trauma a couple episodes ago with Tracy Hansen. And I just want to encourage you that if you have been a victim of a trauma and you've never told somebody that you trust, I want, I want to challenge you to take that risk and do that. Because until you, until you name that, until you bring that out into the light, you can't take the next bold step on your healing journey. And there are people who love you, people who believe in you people who are for you and who are with you, who want to help you walk that path as painful as it is on the front end. When I was in college, I once heard a girl speak at a church service and she talked about a broken relationship that she had with her father. And she said, I finally got to a point in my spiritual journey where I realized that I couldn't hate somebody that I pray for. 
And she said, so I started to pray every day for my dad, almost in the spirit of Jesus' words in the Sermon of the Mount, where he says, bless those who hurt you. Pray for those who persecute you. It is hard to forgive, but it's always worth it. And when we forgive, we're better Christ followers, we're better parents, we're better friends, we're better leaders. So my encouragement to you is take a forgiveness inventory. Ask yourself this question. See if you can carve out just a half an hour of quiet and and ask God very directly, God, is there anybody that I continue to harbor resentment towards? Are there chains from my past that are preventing me from running into my future? And if so, will you, will you equip me? Will you enable me? Will you empower me by your grace to name those broken relationships? And will you give me the ability to start the forgiveness journey? Because forgiveness isn't a, a decision. Forgiveness is a discipline. And just like an athlete has to continue to lift weights or continue to practice explosive exercises to increase their speed or their jump, forgiveness is something that we work on. Forgiveness is, is, it's just not moments. Forgiveness is a marathon. And it's something that has to get run every day. And either we're forgiving the same people over and over again, or we're forgiving new people for new offenses because Jesus' question to Peter still rings true. Lord, how many times are people going to step on my toes? And Jesus' answer rings true. To the extent that we live in a broken world, we can expect to happen with alarming regularity. And so if hurt is going to continue to come our way, we need to be the kind of people who are toning and flexing and working our forgiveness muscles so they get stronger and stronger and stronger. And we become the kind of people who can let just slights and minor offenses roll right off our back and let significant and serious offenses be things that we grieve and we wrestle with before God, but we seek to release other people from their debt to us Uh, Because if we're Christ followers and know what it's like to be active recipients of his redemptive acts for us on the cross, we're the first servant. We're the person who's been forgiven a, a billion dollar debt that we could never repay. So may God give you the grace to release other people in the ways that you have been released so that you really can live not just your version of a best life, but the life that God has forgiven you for, created you for, and called you to. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.